welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for Apex Race Manager, the mobile management simulator. My name's Michael Laminato, and on this week's edition, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix season finale. Herman Tilke won't admit his track's not very good. And Fernando Alonso awakes from his McLaren Honda nightmare. That's all to come in this edition of the Strategy Report. The last race of the season, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, is wrapped up. Um, we had, I'm going to say, a classic Abu Dhabi race. Not necessarily a classic Formula 1 race, but to go through it with me, I'm joined by Ted Kravitz from Sky Sports F1. Ted, how are you doing? Hello. Uh, all right. Not so bad. I feel like I've been uh, up for a while because um, I landed at uh, 7 o'clock this morning, <laughs> UK time, fresh from Dubai. Couldn't get a flight out of Abu Dhabi, so I had to fly it from Dubai. Uh, and there it landed... Um, Landed on time in Heathrow, and I've been up ever since. So, and it's now uh, well into Monday in the evening, uh, UK time. So, uh, yeah, been up, been up for a bit, but we're very well, thank you. <laughs> to think you couldn't get a flight out of Abu Dhabi when they showed off so many aeroplanes at the beginning of the <laughs> race. I know, yeah, they've got that nice A380, but uh, no, it was all, it was all booked up. Um, it was, uh, I couldn't even get a sniff of the direct flight going back on. Uh, on Sunday night, which is um, ironic, actually, because most of the teams and the engineers and the, the high flyers, you know, who fill these planes are actually staying out for the mm. test. Um, it's only a few engineers from each team who were who were coming back. Um, Rob Smedley from Williams, he was he was staying out, not least because they've got, you know, probably the most uh-huh. important test for everybody figuring out who to employ as a driver next year. Um, but I was talking to some of the Williams engineers, a couple of them who were on my flight uh, from Dubai back to London. And um, and they were saying, yeah, you know, we're lucky to es- to have escaped. The most of them have to stay out, but um, yeah, two days of uh, tire testing. At least the weather would be warm, which is which is good at a minimum. And I mm-hmm. suspect we probably won't know whether Kubitz is going to be signed on for a couple of weeks yet. That's true, and it's probably also good that they won't be robbed on the way <laughs> to, back from the ho- uh, circuit to the hotel. So. Uh, that uh, at least makes a nice change from Brazil. Yeah, I mean that's the minimum I look for when I go to work anyway, is to <laughs> yeah. come back with all of my things. But you know, well, it's funny actually because McLaren got dispensation because they were the ones who were, you know, inconvenienced, <laughs> uh, let's say, by uh, the lack of security between Sao Paulo, between Interlagos and their hotel. Um, they were allowed. They were allowed to run two cars this mm-hmm. week. Well, I mean, certainly beneficial for Pirelli, and we will talk a little bit about Pirelli a little bit later on. Given that this is well now the start of their 2018, essentially with all of their new tyres yeah. and the various thoughts on that one. But if we start with the the circuit itself, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix itself, this wasn't a title decider. There were some parts of the championship to be decided, yeah. but we have this situation. We've had this race for a good few years now. It's been characterised by. Let's just be gentle and say a lack of overtaking. Not perhaps the, the the greatest circuit for overtaking. We've known that pretty much from the beginning. Who can forget the 2010 title decider when you know, Fernando Alonso could make any passes on slower cars. I thought it was interesting that after the race, you spoke to Herman Tilke and he suggested they were thinking about changes to this circuit, perhaps to improve that situation. Yes, but then he wouldn't come clean and tell me exactly what he meant. <laughs> um, I assumed he meant in the kind of middle sector and towards the end, but... They're sort of constrained now. I mean, you know, the idea would have been to actually do it in the first place when he was designing it, which was kind of the the obvious question that I thought was a bit tactless to to say to him at that point, (laughs) having him agreed to talk to me. I didn't say, well, you should have designed a better circuit to start with, Herman, Um, which is obviously what everybody else was thinking. But, um, yeah, it's just that towards that middle and towards the end, you know, the last sector. Because the first sector, you've got that run down to, is it turn seven, the straight that goes down Mm. to... Seven, eight, nine, the, the, so, the, the yeah. little twisty stuff. And we did see some quite good stuff around there, didn't we? The end of the straight. Um, or is it Ricardo and Kimi and mm-hmm. Hulkenberg and Perez before Hulkenberg cut the next uh, corner? Yes. Well, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not so bad. And that was the place, was it not last year, where where Rosberg got his do-or-die manoeuvre on, on Verstappen Ah, uh, yes. Done. I think that's right. Was it not yeah, there? I think so. Um, so that's not bad. It's just the middle and the, and the last sector. You, you, have, you know, it's followed my leader through there. But uh, I don't know what they're going to do. But, uh, yeah, Herman seemed to think that uh, hold his hand up slightly and say, yes, you know, we need to change something. But um, it was interesting interest otherwise up up and down the field there was certainly in the midfield which has been the case for a lot of the season to be honest we've had obviously a very interesting title fight that unfortunately well the wheels came off it in asia and it's been done ever since but in that middle 
part of the sur- in the middle part of the field. I beg your pardon. It's been quite close. Uh, and this battle, I mean, if we want to talk about championship battles, we can start really at sixth. I mean, this is the biggest championship battle for sixth we've ever had, purely because we haven't had too much else to talk about in that sense. Mm. Uh, between Toro Rosso and Renault, and to a lesser extent. Haas. Now, a lot of pressure on, I think, Toro Rosso most of all this weekend because they were defending that lead but clearly didn't have the quicker car. But they qualified so bad. In fact, they qualified in competition with Sauber, which seemed unusually slow for Toro Rosso. Yes, it was. It was unusually slow. And, and, you know, we should say, actually, Toro Rosso were in this sort of lofty position of six in the first place thanks to uh, one Carlos Sainz, mm. who of course is now the second driver at Renault. So I thought that was uh, ironic that actually it might have been. I mean, had the wheel not come off his race, literally, um, it might have been Sainz's points who put his old team Toro Rosso uh, down from the lofty position of six down back down to seventh. In fact, it wasn't in the end. It was Hulkenberg. But um, uh, just just a quick sort of uh, note to this as well. We should say. You know, Williams should be thanking Lance Stroll and Felipe Massa, probably Lance Stroll, actually, mm-hmm. for his 15 points scored at Azerbaijan um, to getting on the podium. Because if were it not for that, they would have been mired in this fight for sixth as well. It's just a, a benefit that Stroll and Massa scored good points early on that secured Williams in fifth because they've been clinging on to that ever since mm-hmm. uh, the summer break, really, haven't they, Williams? They haven't been uh, quick enough, even by their own admission. But um, yeah, Toro Rosso, very, very strange. Ever since the first the first session um, where Brendan Hartley was last and Pierre Gasly was somewhere down the end, um, I don't know. A lot of people smelled a rat. I, <laughs> I, 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 I sort of smell a rat, but um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the you know the the rat in question, and I think Tor, uh, Franz Toss certainly smells this rat. Is that somehow Renault, who took the engines away from Toro Rosso after Brazil, uh, and then supplied them back, ready to be fitted, and uh, in the paddock in Abu Dhabi, had done something to the engine. Mm or the ERS, or the turbo, or, you know, the boost pressure, or the battery, or something like that. Um, And they're limited in what they can do, because these are all, you know, watermarked parts that are put in there by the FIA. They're all barcoded, and so the FIA know which parts these are. But the suspicion was that Renault had done something to nobble Toro Rosso, because they weren't quick anywhere on the circuit, and it was very odd it didn't seem like a tyre thing. It didn't seem... They couldn't put their finger on whether it was an engine thing because they didn't have any proof. Um, and it was only suspicions and rumours. And so it was just frustrating and, and, and in the end, devastating and financially costly. And, and I did try and get a word with Franz Tost after the race, but, I mean, he was, you know, fuming. Apparently he'd been... He's slamming doors upstairs in the in the in the office. The press officer said, "Don't go anywhere near him." Hmm. I said, "Well, I'm going to try," and she said, "Well, good luck." <laughs> um, uh, I did say to him, "Franz, you know, I'm awfully sorry. Can I have a word?" He says, "I can't. I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say." You know, I, sorry, I can't do the Franz the Franz Tost accent very well. But um, I mean, he's you know he's he's seldom you know mr jolly in the first place but he was absolutely steaming and actually interestingly i saw him in the in the uh the good thing about abu dhabi is that these these uh darkened uh briefing rooms mm. in the daytime become all lit up at night and when it's darker outside oh, yes. you can see into all the briefing rooms i think we showed some on the tv on the on my race notebook, you would have seen the camera peering in, and you can see even when they got the blinds down, you can see straight through the blinds. <laughs> um, and Tost was going through data after the race and printing stuff out and looking at it, and you know, uh, uh, and so that points to obviously, you know, he's looking for something to some answers. Maybe he's got suspicions that Renault nobbled him, or his team, his cars. Um, to make sure that they Toro Rosso wouldn't be in there uh, potentially scoring points, whereas Renault made sure that, you know, they were in there scoring points. And I don't know. I mean, you can say things about Renault, but they've been unreliable. Yes, 
They haven't been supplying fresh new parts even when Toro Rosso and Renault pay them, yes. But would they do that kind of thing? I don't think so. Well, it's interesting because this is uh, a fortnight-old saga now, really, because it started in Brazil where there was a bit of an exchange of words, wasn't there, where I think Cyril Bitbull started it and saying... You know, I don't know why they always fail for Toro Rosso. It must yes. be something to do with them. And then Tost really went nuclear yes. with his re- reply, accusing them in not, in not so many words that they were giving them sort yep. of substandard equipment. In, do you suspect there was something going on before, if indeed something was going on at all before then? Or could you say, if this was to happen this weekend, that maybe ironically enough, it was of Franz Tost's own making? Well, um, uh, two things there. I think the only thing that was happening before this weekend was that Renault were sometimes supplying Torosso with some pretty substandard, shabby, mm-hmm. you know, bashed together power units out of everything they had in the in the in the truck, you know. And and Torosso, I suppose, reasonably were saying, and this is what they were saying to us: Look, we're paying you hundreds of thousands of pounds for this new MGUH and turbo and you're saying that it's one that you've dredged out you know second hand from from Red Bull or something you know this doesn't look new to us make new stuff for us please we're paying you for it give us nice new stuff because we're paying you a lot of money so that's been the frustration that's been bubbling along for a long time so i think tosts the the straw that broke the camel camel's back was when knowing what he's been supplying to them, a beatball then said, oh, well, it's not us, it must be the car. And that's what made Tost snap and said, are you kidding, effectively? It's not the car. And hinted that, you know, it's you making sure that you get our place in the Constructors' Championship and the money that goes with it. And what does money mean? Money means a faster car. And money means a faster car for next year. So that's the equal thing. So then, to your second point... Was it Tost's incendiary statement? And he doubled down on it when, he, when I interviewed him, didn't he? In, in, mm. After practice in, uh, in Brazil, I, I went to him expecting him to say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to suggest <laughs> that Renault would be doing, you know, sabotaging us deliberately. Um, and he doubled down on it. And, you know, it was called a beat balls, his stupid interview. <laughs> um, I, I mean, in Brazil, they were, Renault were furious and were, were you know, considering... Uh, withholding engines. That is a fact. They didn't. In the end, they got an apology of sorts from Helmut Marco, and that was enough for them. Um, But they were considering it. They were thinking about it. So if they're not going to withhold them, what can they do to punish Toro Rosso and Tost? (sighs) Supply derated engines? I suppose. But you see, the thing is, I don't know how they do it, because these are all, as I say, these are all barcoded, mm-hmm. documented FIA parts. They're all individual parts that make up the, you know, four power unit and all the all the elements in that per season. So what could you do? Take them apart? I mean, deliberately derate them? And then surely the data would show that. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd be able to see if they haven't got the turbo boost pressure or or something or make a leaky, a leaky inlet plenum or something. You know, the the data would show that. So Torosso would say, look, uh, hello, you know, look at this. This isn't right. Or the MGUH is only spinning to whatever, 90,000 RPM rather than 125. You know, they'd have that. So if they did do it deliberately, they wouldn't have been able to get away with it, surely. It's one of those beautiful mysteries Formula One might have to live with, with Singapore a couple of years ago, the tyres, and Pastor Maldonado's win. So <laughs> it's one of those... It's one of those wonderful things I have to think about. I, I like that Renault has upset so many people in the course of a fortnight. It was yeah. Toro Rosso well, last round and this. And also Force India, yeah. who were not in this fight for six. They've secured fourth place a, a couple of rounds ago now. But obviously for Force India, they feel money more acutely in Formula 1 being a, an independent team, one of the with a few in, true independent teams on the grid. Uh, Renault has now got that extra so many million dollars for moving from seventh to sixth. But they did so uh, well in a in a somewhat controversial way, let's say. On the first lap, Sergio Perez jumped 
Nico Hulkenberg. And then, as you alluded to earlier, Hulkenberg went off the track. It was pretty blatant, really, uh, and repassed Perez. Didn't give the position yeah. back. Renault took a bit of a gamble on that, I yeah. guess. Uh, and were penalised only five seconds, by which point Hulkenberg was six seconds up the road. Not so much a penalty. Uh, do you th- I mean, this is something we've been talking about all year, haven't we? Off the track incidents we talked about with Verstappen in Austin. and Well, all year, I say for years, really. Yeah. Is this going to be something that perhaps gives a little bit more impetus to sorting out these kind of problems? Because as much as it wasn't a straight fight between Force India and Renault, Force India clearly feels aggrieved that it is a somewhat disadvantage in the championship by one of its chief rivals getting an advantage. Sure. Well, three things on this. First of all, uh, Force India, uh, it it does matter to them because as as Otmar Safnauer said to me after the race... um, one place more in the constructors means more money for Renault, and that is going to give us more of a headache because they're, you know, because we've said money equals speed in Formula One. Um, they're going to be more of a, a problem for us next year if they're higher up in the constructors and they've got more money. So that is a direct attack, if you see what I mean, on Force India. Secondly, um, I thought it was rich of Nika Hulkenberg, uh, who you know, called Kevin Magnussen the, the, the most unsporting <laughs> driver in, in Formula One to do to do that move and uh, then to blame Perez for, for pushing him off. Um <laughs> that was uh, that was that was pretty rich from Hulkenberg, wasn't it? And 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 thirdly, it was Perez's fault and Force India's fault for not staying within five seconds. You know? Uh, uh, okay, I mean they'd probably say that the car wasn't capable of doing it, but they let Hulkenberg get away and get down the road. And I, I can only, I wonder whether they're going through the, the, the timings now thinking, okay, maybe Perez spent the first couple of laps after, after that complaining mm. and not staying right with the Renault. Um, and they didn't, you know, they let Renault get away with that Force India, didn't they? And I'm, I'm struggling to think how, where Force India's pace went. Uh, they wouldn't, you know, did Perez really not have that pace to, to keep Hulkenberg within five seconds of him, because then then Hulkenberg didn't exactly have the quickest of pit stops, did he? No, yeah. The pro- there's a problem on the on the on the wheel, and and so Force India let them let them you know get away with that scot free. But um, yeah, I mean, I keep you know I do keep coming back to that Hulkenberg, honestly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> cheeky, cheeky, cheeky boy, and after all this. After all, you know, mostly sportsmanlike, and complaining about uh, an interview we did earlier on in the weekend. You know, complaining about how there's not so much respect out there, and you know, it's all too crazy on the first lap. Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, yeah, it was opportunistic, wasn't it? And Hulkenberg got away with it, and he was the hero, and he was clapped back. I witnessed him being clapped back into the the Renault motorhome and big hugs. But um, yeah, well, a beat bull, he's, he puts a lot of people's backs up, doesn't he? <laughs> Christian Horner will tell you that. It's a shame Sergio Perez isn't quite as quick on the comeback as Kevin Magnussen <laughs> after that one. It's, it's just a bit, bit of a shame. Would have been very well yeah. shared. Uh, I guess it just does go to Force India's pace on that ultra soft tyre this weekend because they were about, about six seconds down the road by the time uh, the first pit stops happened for, for him and Hulkenberg on lap 16 and 17. They only ended up seven seconds behind the race. So it is it, even more interesting or ludicrous to consider that that entire time lost, that critical time for Perez, was all in that time where he really needed to be close to Hulkenberg. Yeah. His pace for the rest of the race was fine. I know. It's weird because they're normally not so bad on the upsoft, mm. aren't they? Especially Perez. Yeah, exactly. It's a weird track for uh, for tyres, though Abu Dhabi, isn't it? There wasn't an over there wasn't an overcut. There was a, a very small undercut in the end. But um, I'm sure we'll talk about more, that more in a sec. But uh, yeah, you know, I I just can't help thinking that those two or three laps when Perez was complaining about Hockenberg, he must give me the place back. Um, you know, he 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 just was a bit distracted, and you could tell in that radio message, couldn't you? His engineer said. Look, it is what it is now. He's gone. He has the five-place penalty. He's not going to give you the place back. Get on with it. And by then, he was already three seconds down the road. Um, And I just wonder whether Perez kind of lost it while he was distracted, being annoyed that the FIA hadn't, you know, ordered Hulkenberg to give the place back. Something, of course, Hulkenberg had to do later on, didn't he? To Was it Grosjean? But that was that was Otmar Zafnau's that was that was his point was that Hulkenberg 
uh, did give a place back later in the race um, and didn't when it when it really mattered. But uh, yeah, I mean, I thought like you, you know, oh, well, you know, why are Force India so cross? They've secured fourth. You know, it's not really their fight. But of course, you know, it is. They mm. want Renault, who are going to be trouble for them next year, as far down the constructors' order as possible, getting least money possible to to mean they're not going to be as competitive as possible. That's that's in Force India's interest before we look a little bit further up the field as a final note on that i mean we have track limits is always being talked about do you think this is a situation that perhaps need a needs a more hard and fast rule would not have been better for hulkenberg even though he was so much further up the road by that point as a punishment to have given back a position at the time is that something that that formula one should look into for the new season definitely Mm -hmm. and i think it was it's 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 you know, you just need someone like Charlie Whiting. I mean, I think he tries to be fair, too fair. You know, he tries to be completely um, scrupulously fair all the time. And to do that takes time. You know, I think he he could have seen it, gone with his gut feeling and said, you know, got on the radio very quickly, push for a button, get Hulk to give the place back. Mm-hmm. That's all it would have taken. And actually, if Hulkenberg's pace was so great, he would have overtaken Checo on, you know, he could have given the place back, followed him for a couple of corners, and then taken the place, mm-hmm. overtaken him, overtaken him again. If he was already so quick, if that Renault was so quick that it was pulling away from the Force India by six seconds in twenty laps, then you know he probably would have been able to pass him anyway. Um, so yeah, yeah, you just need someone who's just maybe acting a bit more on a kind of instinct to say. Yeah, I don't think so. Give the place back. I guess for the end, uh, they got the position, they got the money, and that's the way that story ends. Yeah, but 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 also uh, we should say, I mean, you know, everybody else kind of finished where they where they started. So Haas dropped down to eighth. They were eighth last year. They're eighth this year. So you know, I mean, it's not the end of the world for them. I mean, um, Toro Rosso, they were seventh last year, and they're seventh this year. It just would have been nice for them to finish sixth. But it's Renault and McLaren ironically, considering their partners, <laughs> who've just swapped. So Renault have gone up three, and McLaren have gone down three. So they are, everyone else has stayed where they are. Sound like, this sounds like the hit parade, doesn't it? <laughs> so, um, uh, it, 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 it well, the, the charts, it's, the radio still have chart shows in this day? Yeah. This day of downloads? They probably don't well, do that. Prob- probably have some iTunes-related um, chart or something. Yeah, so down three to number nine <laughs> is McLaren. Up three to number six is Renault. Um, yeah, so those two have just swapped, haven't they? Which is, uh, as we say, ironic because it might well be a McLaren Renault beating a Renault Renault next year. But uh, that depends on the chassis, doesn't it? And will be the fascinating question of 2018. Looking further up the field for 2017, though, Valtteri Bottas won this race. Uh, I thought it was, I mean, he clean swept this race as well. I only just realized this earlier today with pole and the race win and the fastest yep. lap. So a pretty comprehensive weekend for him. And Nicky Lauder, I thought, probably summed it up well uh, in a way that hopefully foreshadows what will happen next year and that this was a good result for Valtteri's brain. Yes, he did, didn't he? So, yeah, mentally, it's good for him. Um, and I think it is, you know, because Bottas beat himself up in the middle of the season when uh, when Hamilton just stepped up a gear. And I think he was surprised because, I mean, of course, Baltas hasn't been in a championship fight in F1 before. And heaven knows Hamilton has and heaven knows Vettel has. And they know what you need to do mid-season. They know that the early part of the season is just banking the points and winning if you can. But if you can't winning, make sure, win, make sure you're on the podium. And Vettel was king of that, wasn't he? He was king of that strategy. So consistent in the first half of the season. But they know that when it gets mid-season, you know, towards the end, they either need to step up or they need to make sure they don't make any mistakes. Hamilton stepped up, Vettel started to make mistakes, and Ferrari started to make mistakes. And that's the story of how their championship disappeared. And all amongst that, there was Bottas saying, whoa, hang on, what's going on here? These seasoned campaigners, you know, they're just running away from me. Um, what's all this about? But he's learned about that now. He's learned about what happens in the middle and towards, you know, two-thirds towards the end of a season. And if you're in amongst the championship, you know, you need to step up. And that'll be that'll be a lesson that he will um, he'll take into next year. But, uh, yeah, it's good for him, isn't it? It's good for him uh, winning the last, uh, the last race and being on pole for the last two. But it does still give a bit of a question to me about Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a mental switch off? 
even though he was fighting like crazy, wasn't he? He was fighting like crazy in the race, we think, although <laughs> some people think he wasn't. But um, he was uh, he was trying, but is it a little... He must mentally have stepped off, stepped off, taken his foot off a gas, don't you think? Well, he alluded to spending a lot of time partying in the last month, which is fair enough. I guess he's won the world <laughs> championship, hasn't he? Uh, yeah. A lot of people would ask, doesn't he do that normally? But I guess there must have really been a stepping up Well, yeah, up there. that's the thing. I mean, I'm, my mind goes back to Mykonos. Yeah. You know? he was, yeah, exactly. He was partying in Mykonos before the British Grand Prix, famously. Yeah. Um, and that went pretty well for him. But uh, anyway, yeah. I guess it's a little bit shades. Oh, and he's denied it, hasn't he? Because this has been the, the logical question of um, the end of 2015, which of course led on to the start of 2016 when Rosberg, what well, was three race wins in a row at the end of 15, wasn't it? That translated into four in a row at the start of 16 and then the crash yeah. in Spain. And ultimately that set him up to that championship win or Hamilton's championship loss, if we want to look at it like that. So I, I suppose that's that's a, a thing to perhaps be a little bit tense about for the start of the new year. Is Hamilton capable of carrying this momentum over again or will he have to start again in the same way he did last season yeah, yeah i mean i think all it all it proves is that when hamilton's won a championship um the evidence suggests he takes his foot off the gas mm. and you know who amongst us would probably not do the same <laughs> um if job's done you know these don't really count for anything i mean i thought even when vettel won in brazil the celebrations were mm-hmm. sort of awfully muted weren't they yeah yeah well done guys forza forza ferrara you know i guess you know another flag and marinello it's just got a button on the steering wheel that says it you know i think he's got he's he's doing well with those um rosetta stone uh, learn learn italian in six easy months he's he's getting through those tapes pretty well but um uh no i mean it's uh, they are a bit dead rubbers but yeah hopefully it will it will mean that um that bottas is uh is right up there with with Hamilton and Vettel. Mm-hmm. Um, and if only Red Bull can start the season strongly, then um, I know we always say this, and <laughs> I can't even believe I'm saying it one day after the end of, of 2017 season. Hopefully we'll have a better 2018 <laughs> season. There you go, I've already said it. It's the, it's the old football phrase, isn't there? It's always, it's always next <laughs> season. Uh, <laughs> Try and stay away from. Well, there was all that action in the middle of the field where there was attempts to pass and things like that. Obviously, there were attempts at the front, but everyone used a similar-ish strategy. Like we said earlier, the undercut wasn't working here. Verstappen tried it on Raikkonen, laps 14 and 15. It didn't really Mm. work. I mean, Vettel stopped on lap 20, Bottas on 21. That wasn't in undercut range, but there was just no advantage really to be had, even for Hamilton, who stayed out till lap 24, on either tyre going long or really going short. Uh, which I suppose speaks to both the the low degradation nature of the circuit and the tyres being, I don't know, fairly happy where they are, if we like to say it like that. The only, I suppose, exception, and even this is a bit of a technicality, was Alonso and Massa, the continuation of the fight from Brazil or from 2010 or 11, if we want to go that far back as a, why not? It gives a bit of colour. But Alonso started to make that move on the track, one of the few moves of the circuit in undercutting Massa for ninth place in what I suppose is a... Well, I don't know. Is it a nice way to end the McLaren-Honda partnership? It's a way to end it, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it is. It, it, it was, it's, it's a funny circuit. We've already said it's a funny circuit for tyres, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. you've got that, you know, you've got the high energy sort of first couple of corners. And then the tyre cools down on that straight, um, going down to the chicane. And then it sort of warms up again. And I did like that shot on uh, the formation lap, was it? Of everybody warming their tyres. And Kimi Raikkonen mm-hmm. just going straight in a straight line. Um, <laughs> was that on the formation? Was that on the formation lap? I think Everyone it might have been, yeah. Everyone was weaving, and Kimmy was like, "Oh, never mind. You know. <laughs> <laughs> not not interested in all of this. They'll they'll be okay." Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was because the undercut um, wasn't expected to be so powerful, and it was expected to be about as powerful as it was. Was in that it would give you about half a second on the guy in front, or maybe a second, perhaps in Alonso's case, as you mentioned, but wouldn't give you the second and a half to two seconds that we see somewhere, you know, in, in other tracks. The people were thinking about the overcut. That's why I mentioned that on on my little strategy spiel at the end of the green light when I get overexcited um, <laughs> and say, you know, maybe if you're in traffic, maybe it's not working for you, stay out another five to ten laps and see what you can do. And Carlos Sainz was trying that, wasn't he, on Alonso? And Renault reckoned that he was going to get that done, um, even though I thought Alonso still had the gap that he needed on on Sainz. Um, but maybe he would have taken Massa anyway. That the, so Sainz was trying the overcut, and quite a long overcut as well. 
Um, and they, Renault thought, were it not for them messing up the, the pit stop, mm-hmm. the overcut was going to work on him. But then other people tried the overcut and it didn't work. Actually, I thought maybe Mercedes might try the overcut a bit more with Hamilton, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But um, they only left him out for a... a a lap, didn't they? Yeah, just enough to get caught in traffic, really, and then decide it wasn't worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I don't know. I mean, the, the the Alonso one was was good, and, and back to your question. Um, I found all this, you know, goodbye and thanks for all the terrible engines and awful <laughs> memories and heartache drinks between McLaren and Honda pretty disingenuous. I mean, it was... <laughs> You know, these are people who were slating each other. Um, well, actually, no, it wasn't. It was one-way traffic. You know, McLaren have been slating Honda, first of all, to try and motivate them to make better engines, and second of all, to embarrass them enough to leave the sport. You know, uh, and, and now uh, it was only really the FIA's uh, insistence and, and, and efforts to get them to stay, and Red Bull's um, compliance to, to get them to, you know, welcome them into the Red Bull family, even though the the senior team didn't want the Honda engines yet and were just happy to let the junior team have them, um, that Honda have stayed and, you know, they managed to save face and stay in Formula One rather than seem like Honda would have, McLaren would have been quite happy to shame them out of the sport completely. So, I mean, a nice way to end the, the <laughs> you know, the relationship, I suppose, with some points and maybe some smiles through gritted teeth. Mm-hmm. But, you know, don't anyone think that these people are parting on terms at good terms and you know fernando alonso saying in qualifying you know we lost two tenths on the straight there actually that honda engine wasn't too shabby was it i mean look at toro rosso with the with the renault engine Mm. all right bearing in mind what we've already said you know that toro rosso the renault engine you know didn't look so great did it but um the mclaren with the honda was all right in abu dhabi so uh Another thing for Franz Toss to uh, to reflect <laughs> on. <laughs> well, it has I feel like that's been increasingly the case late in the season. Obviously, Honda has been improving to some degree because, I mean, the baseline at the beginning of the year was so low, it would be hard not to, I mm. suppose. But ever since they've stopped bringing so many new components, and I suppose we can also put in brackets there, ever since so many components have stopped failing, mm. and they haven't had to take so many grid penalties, it's shown that, I mean, the engine is not there on the level of any of the others, but is not quite so far back. I mean, he did pass Massa, who is a Mercedes-powered Williams driver, which, I mean, that has to say something. I know yeah. that McLaren chassis is being vaunted as you know, one of the best on the grid, and the Williams is not so great, but... You can't tell me that's 100% chassis-driven. I agree. Absolutely. Not too shabby, that Honda. Mm. I tell you. Not too shabby. And I think, you know, the, this Spec 4 engine never came. Mm-hmm. It's like the magical, mystical <laughs> unicorn of, of, of F1 engines. It was promised it never came. It wasn't reliable. But once they once they ratcheted down, once they derated the Spec 3.7 or whatever it was, derated it, and then started inching back mm. up, on you know on giving it full beans um then they actually got some performance out of it and alonso got the fourth fastest race Mm -hmm. lap towards the end of the race when um when mclaren uh threw caution to the wind (laughs) gave him uh, the famed uh top engine mode which is uh yellow switch yellow g1 uh, which they normally is only for qualifying they said there you go fernando last few laps you know, off you go, fill your boots, and he got uh, he got the fourth fastest race mm-hmm. lap. To tie up the strategic fight in the midfield, though, uh, there was one driver who did make a bit of a, a fist of the overcut, and that was Romain Grosjean, stopped on lap thirty-two. But I suppose in many respects, uh, and you can you can compare that as well to Van Dorn and Magnussen behind him, who stopped much earlier than the midfield, or I guess you must call them the backmarkers in this situation, the cars behind them, the Saubers and Toro Rosso cars, yeah. which essentially allowed them to navigate around that mess completely and not get caught up with them, which I suppose pose shows how far ahead everyone was of Sauber and Toro Rosso here to to recover a little bit of old ground there. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I thought it was a it was a very very solid mm-hmm. race from Roman Grosjean. Um despite the a not great weekend and just a shame for Kevin Magnussen actually who'd uh I need to check my notes but I think Magnussen out qualified yeah, Grosjean, he did, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Well, Grosjean was knocked out in Q1. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yes, Magnussen got through, didn't he? So, um had Magnussen not made such a hash of the uh of the opening lap when mm-hmm. he was trying to um you know live up to his I I'm the man who <laughs> passes the most cars on the opening lap uh, award for 2017. Um had he not tried that and got himself into two spins, then he might have ended up scoring a point for Haas, but um 
Uh, I mean, the Haas wasn't quicker than the Williams in the end, was it really? But uh, no, I thought a very nice, a nice strategy and a, a good, a good race for Grosjean. It wasn't any points; it was P11, but um, yeah, really not so bad. But I just wonder whether he's he's gonna he's got anyone tapping him on the shoulder, Grosjean, saying, "Look, Romain, you know, maybe next year you've got to be a bit, a little less." fiery i mean i know you're passionate but um it's starting to affect even if the team now can just roll their eyes and say you know oh your your whining behavior is okay by us because we know that you mean well um it's not helping you with your your career you know and everyone else is listening to this and i think the top teams are listening to him complain and thinking we're not interested in this guy yeah. ever you know, we're not going to have him. A guy who was talked about of maybe taking Kimi Raikkonen seat at Ferrari. You know, it's not, you're not hearing, I'm not hearing anyone, any big teams say, oh, that Grosjean, you know, quick guy, mm. team player, doesn't complain. You know, <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, they're not saying that. They're saying, God, you know, Ro- Ro- Grosjean's whinging again. Um, and however quick he is, I think he'd, been plen- he'd be plenty quick enough for a top team. But it's the attitude. It's the attitude and the behavior that that I, I fear uh, is, is putting the team, top teams off him. And, and I hope Romo's got someone, you know, tapping on his shoulder and saying, look, Chief, you know, you, it's, not, it's not over. You know, it's not too late. You can save this. You can pull this round next year. If you're an angel with wings in the team <laughs> and no complaints or anything and, you know, uh, you can turn this round and still get a top top drive in f1 he needs to take his frustration out in his cooking <laughs> with his new cookbook it's probably the way he's got to do it i think i'm not aware of this new cookbook tell me oh yes no he's got a cookbook with his wife i think really yeah, with the lovely I've, marion yes uh i suppose oh. it's related to um you know athle- athletic nutrition and things like that okay um, i'm pretty sure i didn't make that up no i'm fairly sure that that's <laughs> that's correct I'll put an asterisk on that. You can go and Google it. No, after, that's the that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of home life detail that I uh, that I specialize in. But um, yeah, well, I guess they got three kids. You know, you spend most of your time cooking when mm. you've got three kids. I'd imagine I've only got two, and I spend a lot of time cooking for them. But um, yeah, yeah, little family cookbook sounds lovely. I might might, yeah, might get well, that. Yeah, I think it might only be in French. But if your French is all right, then I'm sure the recipes are also great. <laughs> okay. Uh, to to wrap this one up uh, and to wrap the season up to a certain degree we've talked really for the last two years uh, not not about the racing the racing's been fine but certainly about the tyres the tyres are increasingly over the last I don't even know how many seasons to be honest playing that key dynamic part in races that that sort of spice them up and and give those strategic options and and that's fine obviously this year we've had a very conservative season with the tires which is understandable given the regulations have changed and pirelli well had to go conservative lest all the tires fail uh but it was interesting because this weekend they revealed their 2018 compounds we've got two new compounds so one of them is probably not going to be used the super hard and we've got the hyper soft which was voted on by fans cleverly pirelli didn't let fans suggest their own otherwise we'd have uh, softy mcsoftface yes, presumably yes. <laughs> is the i mean this is i suppose i mean it's going to be an improvement on this year and i think that's always a good thing but is this a sign that formula one is still leaning too much on pirelli to be that key performance differentiator in race weekends when we've got another two compounds now yeah probably a bit of both i don't know there's 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 two two sides to this story you could either say you know be the anti-pirelli and say mm-hmm. why are we you know lumbered with this sole supplier of tires which can be so random and nobody really understands them and and why don't we get michelin Mm. who can just produce uh as the WEC proves you know a tire that you can just hammer for a whole stint or a whole lap and then you got the other side which i must say i'm on which is you know let's make it unpredictable tires have always been slightly random you know let's see um if they can throw some some new compounds in and 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 different you know a choice of three um and giving the teams a bit more latitude and and having a bigger gap between the tires so that it's not you know we're talking about a marginal undercut or a marginal overcut that, that people can do some crazy things and have a three second undercut <laughs> but then they're going to run out of tires dramatically you know, six laps later and have to spend the time crazily defending. You know, that's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. 
and for, for for people who like that kind of thing like you and me you know that'll be great and we'll have more to talk about i'm all for it you know i kind of had an argument with with david croft the, the our commentator mm-hmm. in in practice and he was saying oh this is confusing and all these tires and blah blah blah, blah. um and i was saying no come on you know let's have more variety with it let's have you know two stops and three stops and i'm all behind it let's let's do it and and i don't think i mean i th- his other argument was let's make if for example the range the selections for for that race are hyper soft uh, ultra soft and super soft why don't you just make them hard medium and soft so you 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 rename the uh the red stripe super soft the orange or the blue or whatever hard is these days um you you know you recolor the purple yeah uh, which was the what we know as the ultra soft you you recolor that yellow mm. which would be the soft and then you recolor you know the the new hyper soft or hyper soft <laughs> as i like to call it i don't know why i just hyper I like the way it's sort of a French Italian accent. <laughs> hyper soft. <laughs> eh, questo, questo hyper soft. Uh, I gomme hyper soft. I think I might do it, do it in an Italian accent next year. I do. I enjoy whenever Pirelli talks about the tyres overeating. And I always think, Over- why are you feeding the tyres <laughs> so much? Anyway, so the idea was that, you know, rebrand those tyres hard, medium and soft. Um no matter where they are, which ones they are in the range. Actually, that was Crofty's idea. I think that would be more con- more confusing mm-hmm. because people would say it loses your ability to compare track to track uh, and to build up a sort of characteristic of that tyre in both the viewer's mind and I suppose in the team's mind as well throughout the year. So you could say, oh, well, you know, we're using the soft here. Uh, that's always been a good tire for somewhere like Barcelona, but you know, here at Monaco, it's too hard. We well, wouldn't be able to do that because the soft at Barcelona would be a different tire because you'd be recoloring it to the soft in Monaco, which would be a, a different tire. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's better to keep them the same colours that they are, and then at least we can cross-reference them of how they behave in different tracks. But um, no, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I mean, the hard. What the what was the super hard called? Mm. Super hard or the su- extreme the, hard? The super hard. Super yes. hard. Yeah, that's just in case we go to somewhere like you know we get an Indianapolis O five mm-hmm. uh, issue where you go somewhere and the tires are you know delaminating and they've just got to ship these things out. But um, I would prefer the hard to stay orange. Mm. I'm surprised that didn't happen. Yeah, they've changed now to blue. Um, but they might swap that. And they claim there's a different blue mm. for the dry tire than there is. The, for the wet blue as well i i mean i mean i'm inclined so, to agree with you on the tires certainly it's been interesting to see how many people uh, or how many opinions rather have been expressed this weekend i heard that interview uh between david croft and, and mario isler during free practice one opinion of many i yeah. suppose in in this argument and i can't help but feel pirelli really cops a raw deal in formula one don't they now whatever they do they're always being criticized for something you know last year the tires were so soft and everyone was critical of them this year the tires have been hard and right like drivers have been able to do entire stints or in some cases if you're pascal verlein usually entire races on a on a single tire and they've given the drivers what they want in that sense but now you know there's there's complaints further and next year they're trying to do the right thing where you get a happy balance and there are further complaints again it must be tough yeah i think it is um i can only hope that that they're going to uh, coin it in on the commercial side mm. because I haven't seen any of these coloured uh, striped road tyres oh, yet. Yes. Um, Mario said that they are available. They're expensive, though. Are they? Well, I hope they coin it in because they, do, if they're not getting you know, the moral support from the F1 paddock, <laughs> then they should at least get the marketing and uh, the commercial uh, benefit of these coloured tyres because, um, I mean, it wouldn't work for me. I've got a grey car, mm. so... Uh, but, you know, if I had a Ferrari, I suppose, <laughs> red car, I'd quite fancy a, a set of super softs. Mm. You know, the red striped tires on there or a yellow if I went for the traditional Ferrari color. You know, get the yellow uh, the yellow Ferrari and um, put some soft tires, you know, yellow soft tires on there. That would be quite cool. So, um, but I, I, I don't, I, they've been advertising that on the trackside mm-hmm. advertising, haven't they? None more black or something, they say, or the black range. But um, yeah, it is unfair. No, you're right. You're right. Because it's it's a hard job and tyres are inherently 
you know, not a particularly sexy topic to talk about um, uh, or to look at, really. And <laughs> the drivers only, you know, slate them when they're not doing what they do, what they want them to do. The team's the same. Um, and that sort of filters through to the viewers that they think, oh, you know, oh, well, it's the tyres, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you know, couldn't do anything. <laughs> the tyres, <laughs> you know, it's not fair. It's not fair because um, uh, Pirelli are only sort of doing what they're asked to do and hoping that they don't you know blow up and make tires that are dangerous or it's not going to last the race mm, it is normally we all it usually comes down to that idea well the tires were too hard for this circuit maybe it's it's got to be a balance between the tires and herman tilker if we can bring this thing full yeah circle. exactly yeah that'll be an interesting uh committee meeting to be in <laughs> Just no one wanting to admit anything, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. It's been an interesting season. I think it showed a lot of promise, obviously, at the beginning of the year. And despite the fact the championship really, well, came off the rails uh, in Asia in September and October, I think nonetheless we've we've been pretty happy with the competitiveness of this year. This should be a cause for optimism in 2018. Do you think Ferrari can continue that? Well, I hope so. I mean, Ferrari let us all down, didn't they? <laughs> I mean, it was so uh, it was looking so good, and we were you know, talking in rap terms about how this is such a great championship and you never know who's going to win from week to week. And and I think it, all it showed was that, you know, it's difficult to be perfect all the time. It's damn hard to be absolutely on the top of your game. And maybe we underestimated, you know, how difficult it was for Ferrari to turn up and to be able to take advantage of, you know, Mercedes Diva car, you know, week after week and be perfect and win races. And that eventually the wheels were going to come off their challenge. And, and, and indeed they did. But, um, you know, was it Ferrari who lost the championship or was it Sebastian Vettel who, mm. who lost the championship? And this was a point, you know, that I put to Arriva Bene, to Maurizio Arriva Bene. And he said, well, you know, it's sort of half and half. You know, we had the, we had the spark plug problem in Japan. We had the, um, the, uh, the inlet manifold in uh, Malaysia, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Um, that meant that, uh, that they, had to start Vettel had to start he was out of qualifying and then Kimi retired on the grid so uh, but but then Vettel made mistakes in latterly in Mexico mm-hmm. by being a bit clumsy and clipping his wing um and even though the championship was more or less over by then uh or it was when he lost his wing <laughs> um and uh in Singapore people have said that was a racing incident but yeah. you know had he just that was him he, he didn't have to move left he could have just carried on straight and he could have even let Max Verstappen through, you know, to take the lead. His fight wasn't with Verstappen that day. Uh, or Kimi. He could have let Kimi through, mm-hmm. you know, as long as he stayed ahead of Hamilton, um, who was, you know, starting wherever he was, fifth on the grid. So, uh, and of course, Baku, when he lost um, all those points. It was eight points, wasn't it? He lost in Baku. I mean, yeah. it wasn't a disaster, Baku, because he only got, he would have won but for Hamilton's headrest, but he still finished, uh, he still finished fourth, wasn't it? Fourth or fifth in Baku. So I'm pretty sure it's fourth. So, um, you know, he, he, he got away with that one, but, uh, it's half and half, you know, Vettel's, Vettel's mistakes, Ferrari's mistakes, but Vettel made the very good point that if they can, if Ferrari can make the step, same step forward, they did from 2016 to 2017 in the closed season that we've got now, then it'll be a walk in the park for them <laughs> next year. That was that was what he said. He said if we can make if Ferrari can make the same step forward next year that we made this year, then we will clean up next year. So and 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 he's treated this. You could say he's post rationalizing it if you like. I don't know, but he's saying, look, this has all happened for a reason. You know, all these mistakes, my mistakes, the team's mistakes, the unreliability. Um, you know, this is all going to make us stronger next year. And for that, we can only hope he's right. Sounds like the setup to the lost TV show, really. Uh, <laughs> everything's happening for a reason at Ferrari. Yeah. Makes it sound so easy. Just make the same step again. Oh, it's the simplest thing I in know. the world. But we all we all hope that they can manage that. I hope Red Bull Racing can finally start the season uh, strongly. And then who knows? McLaren, Renault, and McLaren, Renault, for that yeah. matter. Uh, maybe we could actually have a... 
you know, four team, five team fight at the front. Dare we even whisper it? Well, I know. And, and uh, imagine that for the 2018 and 2019 season. It's all brilliant. And then they go and change the rules for 2020 oh, and 2021 yes. into, into heaven knows what. So, uh, yeah, we'll all, uh, we'll all go back there. So more, more political fighting. And um, uh, ho- hopefully there'll be a few, more, few fewer complaints about things like logos. And we can get back to uh, <laughs> talking, about, talking about the racing. Come on, what did you think? What did you think? Uh, you know, I, when I saw it the first time, and I'd seen when it was sort of leaked earlier in the week or whenever it was. Yeah, it, w- it was one of, the, one of the three, wasn't it? Yeah, I didn't like it. But, right. you know, I woke up the next morning and i looked at it and i thought oh, it's not so bad you know it really mind grew it. on me overnight yeah i like it i quite like it i think i think the length of the f is slightly too long yes i was thinking exactly the same thing if they just yeah. shorten that by uh, by a few mil uh that'll be fine it does look like the um the mclaren uh, road car logo so if you oh, sort of if you google yeah, mclaren f1 actually. road yeah. car logo then it looks a bit like that. And it also looks like um, some TV people were saying it looks like the ESPN logo. And, of course, um, uh, Sean Bratches was was the, the marketing boss of ESPN before he came to, to F1. And I think it was the same uh, F design agency that did ESPN's logos recently that actually did the F1 logo. So no surprises there. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I quite like it. And I think, I, I, I mean, I can understand... Why people are interested in it, I think F1 fans, everything that they buy or access will have that logo on. So you get your tickets, it'll be on that, it'll be on the programs at the circuit, it'll be on the branding, it'll be on the, the, the gate, you know, welcome to, to Melbourne or whatever. Um, you'll see it and there'll be a new, you know, visual identity uh, for Formula One that I think people will find kind of quite interesting. Will it make people feel better about formula one will it mm. you know appeal to a, a younger audience which i think is what it's designed to do you know who knows well, it does look a bit video gamey doesn't it i mean it actually looks like a game from the 90s i used to play called wipeout i think it was okay. um so yeah i think there's definitely elements of that i don't know how crazy i am about some of the proposed um tv graphics further to that but uh, I don't know. I keep coming back to this poor man who's got the F1 logo tattooed on his back. I don't know what he's feeling today. So. <laughs> I know him. Oh, yeah, do you? Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Is he? Uh, I think I've seen him. Mm. Um, is he? Uh, is he Australian? Does he I, come? To I don't Northern? know. I'm not sure actually. But I've known. I've known. I've seen him around. But um, I have no idea what his story is. Yeah. Where have I seen? Maybe it's Hungary. Maybe it's Hungary. Yeah. I mean, we'll see with the you know we'll, with with the graphics. I, I I I do still think you know I know there's this. Uh, it's it's fashionable to appeal to the kids, you know. A lot of people who watch F1 and who like it are middle aged or older, mm-hmm. and they don't like change. <laughs> and you know, that don't forget don't forget those people, mm-hmm. you know, because they've got income. They're they're. <laughs> they're they buy stuff mm. and um you know you change too much you'll annoy your core core audience and that's uh and confuse them and that's never never a good thing to do mm-hmm. well we'll be intriguing it's all starting new and you know over time we'll see how these new visions for formula one's future develop it's exciting at least it is a change changes well not for everyone maybe not for that demographic but for for everyone else let's say it's a it's a little bit exciting yeah so i like it plenty to look forward to i like yeah, it yeah let's yeah, have let's, it let's say let's that. have it end on a good positive note for 2017 <laughs> i like it i like it a lot good. ted kravitz it's been some season and it's been a pleasure to have you on the program to look back at abu dhabi and the 2017 year no problem good to talk to you that was the strategy report from the 2017 abu dhabi grand prix but if you want to read more about the strategy from this week's race, go to f1strategyreport.com for the pit stop stats, tyre data, and the write-up of all the action from Yas Marita. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your podcasting app of choice, and be sure to give us a cheeky rating to help people stumble across the show. The Strategy Report is powered by the 2017 edition of Apex Race Manager, which you can download for free for iOS and Android devices. That's all for the Strategy Report in 2017. Special thanks to all the guests who've joined me throughout the year and to Nathan Harper and Beer Mogul Games for making this podcast possible. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. It's been a pleasure to have your company all season long, even if it didn't end in the way we thought it would at the beginning. My name's Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter. I'll catch you in 2018 when Formula One starts this all over again in Australia. (laughs) 